Welcome to the City Hills Church Sermon Podcast. We hope that the message today helped you encounter God, love people, and discover purpose. For more information about who we are as a church, head over to cityhillschurchsd.com. If you would like to partner with us financially, click the Give button at the top of the homepage on our website. And now, let's jump right into the message. Well, welcome to the final part of our series, One Nation Under God. And over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the Pledge of Allegiance and how it relates to our commitment as Jesus followers. And so we've been looking at those key words, one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. In the first week, we talked about one nation, one nation. And, we, and it was this truth that we have to recognize who we represent that we represent more than just our nation, more than just our political beliefs, more than the, the morals that we stand behind, but that we actually represent Jesus. Those of us who call ourselves Jesus followers, we have to recognize who we represent and who we are carrying into every conversation politically, with our family, with our friends at work, understanding that we're carrying the name of Jesus into all of those situations. The second week, we talked about under God, and we asked ourselves the question, am I actually under God? What areas of my life am I actually under God's authority, under his influence, under his leadership in my life? Am I truly living a life that's under God? Last week, we talked about the idea of being indivisible. To become indivisible, it requires us to love sacrificially. It was such a challenging message for us to understand our place and how we care for other people. So we continue on this week talking about with liberty and justice for all. And I get it. I know some of you, you hear that and you're like, all right, I'm out. I've been hearing about this all year. I get it, Danny. We're supposed to love everybody. We're supposed to fight injustice. We're, everybody's supposed to be equal. Like, I get it. I've heard the message. I've been hearing it all year long. I got it. But today I want to take a little bit of a different approach, a different approach, because I I feel like what would really help us have a different lens of this is if we went back in time and, and we looked at the days and the years following the crucifixion and the resurrection. If we went back in time and we started to see what was happening in the early church in the this movement of people. Back in the day before the church was this well-oiled machine, and it was just a bunch of ragtag believers who had a cause and a mission that started a movement that began to change and challenge the Roman Empire. Sounds like a movie, right? It sounds like a gladiator or, or a brave heart. It's just one of those movies. But as crazy as it seems, did you know that's actually kind of the story of the church? It was this body of believers, this movement of people who had experienced and seen what Jesus had done. They believed in his death and his resurrection. They knew he had gone up to heaven and that one day, some point, they didn't know when. They thought it was going to be sooner than later. But at some point, he's coming back for those who believe in him. And so he, they, they just pursued this mission and it just began to stir and grow and build and impact everywhere around them to the point that the Roman Empire had to take notice 
and adjust what was going on. It was this crazy story. But what does that have to do with liberty and justice for all? I happen to believe it has everything to do with it because the impact of what the early church did, it would mirror so much what our founding fathers were hoping would happen when they penned those words with liberty and justice for all. And I believe you'll see that as we get into it some more today. But first, why don't we hop back in time to around the year A.D. 35, give or take a year. And at this point, the Apostle Peter had stood up before thousands of people on the day of Pentecost, and he preached a message sharing Jesus's story, sharing that Jesus was the Messiah. He was the savior of the world. And thousands of people believed. Thousands of people got a hold of this thought and this, this movement and this belief, and, and they began to put their lives into action. And what was so cool about it is that it wasn't centered around overthrowing a government. It wasn't centered around taking over the, the government and, and all the rules and, and changing all of that. It was centered around the message and the life of Jesus. It was centered around how we cared for each other based on how Jesus cared for other people. What I love about the early church was that it, it wasn't as much an invitation to a religion as much as it was an invitation to a relationship. A relationship with the creator of the world, a relationship with the savior of the world, but even more than that, a relationship with this body of believers who in a practical everyday sense of the world, they cared for one another. They took care of each other. You were invited into a relationship with God, with Jesus, and with God's family. It was this beautiful thing. And so we, we pick up in Acts chapter 2 in your Bibles, starting in verse 42. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper or, or communion, and to prayer. Verse 43, a deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And just pause there for a second. Verse 43, a deep sense of awe. I wonder why. I think it was because the sense of awe of unity, because we're going to see in just a moment who was sitting in the room and how incredibly crazy and important it was the people who were sitting in that room. It was the sense of awe that came over them. Verse 44, and all the believers met together in one place and they shared everything they had. They sold their property and their possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day and they met in homes for the Lord's Supper. They shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. There's a key question for us that I want to talk about. What made this movement so appealing? What made this movement of believers so appealing that daily people were being added to their numbers? Daily people were surrendering their lives to Jesus. Daily people were getting behind this, this belief, this cause, this shift of life, this impact, life-altering moment. Why? Why was that so appealing? 
And part of what I think is so appealing about it was that it was disruptive. It was disruptive to the norm. It, it, it was so different than every other religion they had been seeing. Because think about it. Like, it, it was disruptive. They're surrounded by these belief systems of all the different gods and all these different lifestyles. They could go into any kind of religion and find somewhere where they could have dinner together and they can share together. And, and that was all cool. But they didn't find a place where there was this deep sense of community, this connection, this belief that you could be in a relationship with the creator of the world it just stirred them up it was it was disruptive in a good way like have you ever been in a meeting and someone walks in the room and you're like excuse me we're having a meeting and then you realize that they're bringing in like tacos or ice cream it's like it what i'm saying doesn't really matter all that much you brought tacos like, I'm, I'm down. Like, seriously, somebody walks in the door right now while I'm preaching this is like, time out. You guys can be on, on pause because uh, City Tacos is here and I'm about to eat those. Right. It was good in this disruptive sense. It, it, it disrupted the foundation of their everyday life. And it was so much greater than that because it was starting to reshape and, and just remove these barriers that had separated all of these people groups for so long. And we're going to see that in the writings of the Apostle Paul. When you turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3, Galatians chapter 3, we see Paul pen these words describing this revolutionary way of approaching a relationship. Starting in verse 26, for you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus, and all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. This is the key right here. Verse 28. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. This might not seem significant to you because you're like, OK, Jews and Gentiles, slaves and, and masters were kind of like past that day. Right. And OK, male and female. Like, what, what is that really about? This was a huge cultural bombshell that was being dropped by the church, by this body, this movement of believers. This idea that we're all one in Christ was so foreign. And I think you and I will have a little bit more in common as we unpack it. This, this idea of you're no longer Jews and Gentiles. For the Jewish people, that was their determining characteristic. It was their identifying marker. We're Jewish. We're God's chosen people. And here Paul is as a Jew writing, hey, 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 guys, check this out. Everybody is God's chosen people. Like for the people on the outside, for the Gentiles, those who are not Jews, that sounds like, oh, that's awesome. We get to be invited to the party like this is really cool. But for the Jewish people, this was this was devastating and hugely just different from what they've experienced their whole lives, their whole every day of their life is built off of their Jewish customs. And Paul is saying to them, hey, guys, listen, you're no longer in God's kingdom identified as Jew and Gentile. You're viewed as his children, all one. This was so huge. And, and furthermore than that, he was saying, hey, the, you know, the law of Moses, those 600 laws, like these Gentiles that are coming in, 
they don't have to do that either. So the Jews are like, you don't even have to do the work. Like, here we are, Jewish people, we're trying to follow all these rules and follow all these things. And here you are saying that all of a sudden, now that Jesus came, none of that has to be done anymore. And that these Gentiles who aren't God's chosen people are now his chosen people and they don't have to do the rules. This is crazy. Right. This is so disruptive for this community and this culture. He says there's no longer slave and master. I mean, think about it. You're sitting in a room as as a slave who's owned by the man sitting across the room. You're literally owned by this other person. And Paul is saying you're no longer a slave. You're no longer a master. In God's eyes, you're viewed as his son and as his daughter. Could you imagine how powerful that was for the slave? Could you imagine how humbling that was for the master? This was disruptive to their culture. It, it, it started to break their social classes. Like in what other environment would this incredibly rich person spend time and share life and do life with the homeless person begging on the street? In church, in this movement, in this body of believers, a billionaire sitting there with a homeless person sharing life. And in God's eyes, they have equal value. And could you imagine what this was doing for their their culture? Wait, you're telling me so and so old Billy Bob over there has all this money, all this land, all this cattle, all these these sheep in, in this vast garden. And then James over here has nothing. He's living on the street. You're telling me God views them as equally valuable? That was powerful. It was just altering everything they thought about society. And then he goes on and he talks about male and female, that you're no longer viewed as male and female. He wasn't talking about the gender as much as the roles that they played, because in this society, in that community, in that culture, Women had very little value outside of bearing children and run, running the home. They didn't have value in, in politics. They didn't have value. Their words didn't carry this massive amount of weight. And Paul was saying, hey, 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 in, in God's kingdom, in Jesus's way, women have an influence and an impact they're no longer just that person on the side. Remember, this is a culture where where men would marry off their daughters and, and wives to other leaders and other rulers in order to like keep peace between the kingdoms. They women were bartered and traded as if they were like items. I'll trade you a horse and my second wife over here for your Uno card. Like it was crazy. And Paul is going, nope, not in God's kingdom. In God's kingdom. You're not viewed by the label someone else put on you. In God's kingdom, you have value and you have purpose and you are an heir to the throne. That, to me, these were the seeds of revolution. It challenged the Roman Empire. It challenged the Jewish structure. It challenged the home. It, It challenged the way that men viewed women. It challenged the way that the rich viewed poor. 
all in all, what happened is it gave everyone a place to belong and to have a purpose and to have a mission behind their lives, regardless of their background, regardless of their education, regardless of their finances, regardless of their slave status, regardless of their their color of their skin or the gender that they were born with. It was so much more than that. It gave them all a place to belong and to have a purpose. It gave them liberty and justice for all. Do you see it? Do you feel it? This early church was this beautiful picture of what we're hoping to find as a nation. And that's what I hope you gather out of today. The answers for equality in our country is found in the message and the life of Jesus. I've seen so many pastors trying to wave the banners of so many other movements and so many other things. The the equality that we're looking for, it was modeled for us in the early church. It was modeled by the disciples. It was modeled in the writings of Paul. The answer for equality in our world, for liberty and justice for all is found in the message and the life of Jesus. You and I, as Jesus followers, if we actually allow it to impact us the way that it impacted the early church, we wouldn't be fighting over these things. The equality and the liberty that we're looking for is found in these words where Paul says, you're no longer the labels that have been put on you. You are now a child of God. And if we started to treat each other as children of God, regardless of any background, regardless of any demographic, regardless of any status, Equality would come naturally. You see, the the followers of Jesus, they held each other accountable to God for the way that they treated one another. They vowed that they would care and be compassionate and be honest and be full of integrity. They, They committed to one another. Hey, hold me accountable if I'm not living out these values that I say that matter to me. And I wonder what would happen in the church if we started to do the same. I wonder what would happen in our lives, in our family, in our businesses, in our homes, in our churches. What would happen if we started to hold each other accountable in a good way to say, hey, remember, we're, we're fighting the good fight. We, we are setting our eyes on that person as the son, as the daughter of God. And we're going to treat them that way, regardless of their lifestyle decisions, regardless of the background that they came from, regardless of the color of their skin, regardless of what financial situation they're in. They are God's child. Therefore, we care. It, it's just amazing. The Apostle Paul goes on in Galatians to say it this way. Galatians chapter six, starting in verse one. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly, gently and humbly, gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. That that doesn't sound anything like you're a sinner. You're going to hell. Doesn't sound like anything like that to me. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Verse two, this key verse, share each other's burdens and in this way, obey the law of Christ. This is interesting. The law of Christ. I thought the law was gone. We're going to look at that in a second. But I love verse three. I think we should just have this somewhere. It it, It just it's good. It's a good challenge for the soul. If you think you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. You are not that important. 
I, I just like, again, I love when the Bible is sassy. It's just fun to me. I love that part. You are not that important if you think you're too important to help someone. But that key, that key there, when you share someone's burdens, you obey the law of Christ. What, what is the law of Christ? I, I hear this law of Moses. That was the rules. That's the 600 laws that they were trying to figure out to how to become a nation and, and all these things that they were going through. Uh, okay, the law of Moses, and we're not held by that anymore. We're in this new relationship with Jesus. So now there is a law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? We talked about it last week. I give you a new commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. That's the law of Christ. Love each other as I have loved you. Not not just how you want to love, not how you feel like loving. Love how I have loved you. Now listen, I get it for some of you. You're hearing this and you're going, Danny, I get it. I get it, I get it, I get it. Love everybody, care for everybody. But Danny... It can't all just be love. Some people are wrong. There has to be some measure of truth, right? It can't just be all lovey-dovey all the time. And I'm so glad you brought that up. That's a fascinating conversation. Why don't we turn together to the Gospel of John, the fourth book in the New Testament. And let's take a look at this because I think that's a very valuable challenge to what we're talking about. Because it's easy to hear love people and it's easy to think about it, but it's very difficult to live that out when you're dealing with real life applications and real life people who some are crazy and some are living crazy lives. And and you're going, it's so difficult to love when they're so wrong. So let's take a look at that. John chapter 1 starting in verse 9. And John is, is describing Jesus as both the word and he's, he's describing Jesus as the light, this word that came into the world, this light that came into the world. So when you hear those words, understand he's talking about Jesus. Verse 9, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Verse 11, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. This is talking about the Jewish people. He came to his own, but they, not even they received him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Verse 17, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace and truth. Those are two powerful terms Grace, I, I like to think of grace as, as loving like Jesus, right? Loving, for the, loving and caring for those who are far from him, embracing people of different backgrounds, of different beliefs, this, this compassion that Jesus was moved by, this grace that overwhelmed, this, this forgiving invitation to do life together. And we're not going to agree, but we're full of grace and, and it's, it's okay. We can still be 
around each other. And, and, and my prayer is that I influence you. This grace is forgiving. It's open. It's freedom. But truth is real. And we can't miss that. Guys, listen, we cannot miss that. Jesus was full of grace and truth. There are things that are true. There are words and there are things and there are sins and there are things that pull us away from God that Jesus makes it abundantly clear in the scripture. There is truth. Truth is not relative. It's not just based on what you feel and what you think. Truth, we find it through observation and through obedience. We observe the teachings of Jesus. We observe how he lived his life and and we recognize and we obey those things. We obey the teachings that he gave us. We we obey the the philosophies that he talked about, the lifestyle, the the mindset, the placement and the position of our hearts. Jesus talked about all of these things. There is truth and there are things that he he calls us to avoid and there are things that he calls us to grab a hold of. And we also find this in reflection and repentance. Truth is found through reflection and repentance, reflection on our own life. Reflection is what we talk about all the time, checking our hearts, checking our motives. Allow the Holy Spirit to draw up those things, to to help us reflect on the areas of our lives that we haven't truly surrendered to God. Those areas of our lives where we need Jesus to, to heal broken areas and and forgive us of sins and areas that we need to surrender over to him. Reflection and repentance. Repentance is not, oh man, I'm so sorry. Repentance is turning away 180 degrees to turn our backs on what was that sin and move towards our savior. That's true. That's, that, that's in there. But the issue is that Many times we try to deal in the extremes of grace and truth, but we cannot deal in the extremes when it comes to grace and truth. When we do that, it's a dangerous place to be because there's some people in your life that they're all truth. It's all truth. We just got to be black and white. This is what the Bible says. This is what president says. This is what this says. This is what that says. This is just all truth. And I don't want to hear anything else. Right. Those people are annoying. Those people are not inviting. Those people are the ones that we see. and We're like, whoa, man, you're 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 too far for me to even be able to do life with you. Like that is just that is way too extreme. I've heard it said this way. And I love this. Truth without grace leads to rules and rebellion. Right. Have you ever raised a teenager or been a teenager? or had to do anything in student ministry where you're working with a teenager. The teenager whose parents have nothing but rules, nothing but regulations, nothing but this is, you, I'm watching you, I'm, I'm a helicopter, I'm hovering over you. If you do this, if you do that, if you do, you're just waiting for a punishment, you're waiting to strike. What, what usually happens in that teenager? They rebel. They go and they try to do their own way of life. They they sneak off the moment they, they can get out of their parents' house, the moment they can go off to college, the moment they can leave, they flee as fast as possible away. Because truth without grace is it 
it can be damaging. It doesn't invite people in to be a part of it. Jesus understood that there had to be a balance. There was this measure that was appropriate for each situation. Right. The other the other way of looking at it is grace without truth leads to irresponsible beliefs. When you're all grace, it's all just great. Everything's all good. That's a dangerous place to live because Jesus did draw lines. Jesus did tell us these are things that will damage your life. This will damage your reputation. This will damage your integrity. This will damage your relationship with me and my father. Jesus said those existed. So to pretend like they didn't is dangerous. What happens when we live on the side of all grace? It's just loose. You believe what you want to believe and you do what you want to do. And and we run into a lot of this out here on the West Coast. Right. You just you you do you and I'm going to do me. And and it's, it's all good. And you believe what you want to believe. And as long as you're genuine, as long as you really mean it, as long as you're not hurting anybody, it's totally okay for you to do and live and think and believe however you want to believe. And that sounds good in theory until you recognize and you look at the scripture and you see, wait a minute, there, there is actually truth here. What I love about Jesus is that he used the appropriate measure of each and each situation. When he was dealing with people who were far from God, who he was trying to help them get into a relationship with God, he would use more grace. He would invite them in. Hey, listen, I know that you feel distant. I know that you're living this lifestyle and you and I both know it's not good. But listen, you have a father who loves you, who forgives, who cares. He led with grace. For those who were religious, those who were supposed to be followers of God, he led with a little more truth, sometimes a lot more truth because you know better, right? Jesus would talk with these religious leaders and he's like, you have the scripture, you know better. And you're willfully choosing to do what's wrong when you know better. We run into this with with our girls all the time, right? Like uh, it, was, it was a couple weeks ago or Brooklyn, all of a sudden I was in the other room and I just heard paintings and decorations flying off of the wall. And I'm like, what is going on? Like, what is happening here? And there's a moment for her. There's a moment where she can tell the truth, just own what happened, or there's a moment for her to lie, right? We all are faced with that decision. And there's a measure of consequences for if you just tell me the truth. If you just tell me the truth, you were throwing the ball with your sister, it hit the painting or it hit the picture on the wall and it knocked over the decorations. There's a measure of consequence that comes with that because you know you're not supposed to be throwing a ball, especially against the wall in the house, and you almost hit my TV. You mess with my TV, it's going to be a bad day for you, right? There's a measure of consequences. But there's a different level of consequence when you lie to me about it. Because we have a very concrete rule in the house. It's really the only, there's two that we measure in our house. Don't lie and don't disrespect your mom. That's my two rules for the house. Everything else, we can figure it out. We can work through it together. And this day she decided she was going to lie. It didn't end up very good for her. Let's just leave it at that. Like, we have to understand that they're each 
situation requires a measure of each. And so many times, because we're not Jesus, but because we're not paying attention and we're not aware of who we're speaking to, we use the wrong measure. When we're speaking to someone who is far from God, to lead with all truth is just foolish. Jesus didn't do that. He led with grace and understanding, hey, you're invited into a relationship where you're not required to be perfect. Jesus wants to be in this relationship so you guys can work on it together. But so many times us as Christians, we push people away. We, we don't give that equality. We don't give that grace to people because we want to lead with truth. Well, you just need to know the truth. Well, sure they do. But how we communicate the truth and how we communicate grace, it matters. It matters. If, if we want to help experience what this early church did, we've got to understand that there has to be a measure of both. If we want to be one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all, it requires us to understand that to find that liberty and that justice for all, it requires both grace and truth. And in this society, in this culture, what we do far too many times is we lead with a whole lot of what we believe the truth is and we don't have a whole lot of grace. Well, if you don't believe the way that I believe, then you're canceled. If you don't believe the way that I believe, then you're you're racist. If you don't believe the way that I believe, what kind of culture are we allowing and creating in our nation? If we want liberty and justice for all, it's time for us to start leading with grace and truth. Because sometimes our truth might feel right to us, but it may not be right according to God. And it may not be right according to what's best for your brother or your sister in Christ. Remind yourself, we talked about this the first week. Ask yourself, are you trying to win the argument? or Are you trying to make a meaningful impact on someone's life? Are you trying to win the argument? Are you trying to make an impact on someone's life? Come on, let's put a bow on all of this as we gear up for election in a couple weeks. As we navigate the craziness of the next couple of weeks and in the weeks to follow as we elect a president. If we want to be one nation, it requires us to recognize who we represent. If we want to be under God, it requires us to actually investigate our own lives and see what areas of our life we are actually living under his leadership, his influence, and his authority. Are you truly living under God? If we want to be indivisible, we have to remember that our influence on a world who's not interested in Jesus comes from our unity. Our unity with one another. And if we want to see liberty and justice for all, we have to get to this place where we share each other's burdens and we fight for the needs of one another and we look at each other as equal. We look at each other as sons and daughters of God. And when we do that, we'll see this unusual unity happen in our homes, in our workplaces, in our churches, 
and in our nation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray right now that the words that have been spoken over the last couple of weeks, that they would land in our hearts, that you would help us be focused on your mission above any other mission in our life, that we'd be focused on your cause more than any other cause, more than any other political aspiration, any political belief. God, help us line up with you. And God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would help our church become appealing once again. Not appealing so we can grow in numbers, but appealing so that people who are far from you can find a place where they can belong and find purpose again. God, just like the early church, the impact that they had was based on how they were unified, how they cared for each other, how they leveled the playing field, how men and women, Jews and Gentiles, slaves and masters, rich and poor, they came together and they did life together based on the purposes that they found in you. So God, I pray that you would draw us back to that as a nation, draw us back to your heart and draw us back to the mission that you called us to. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that you enjoyed the message today. We would love to be able to partner with you on your faith journey. Regardless of where you're at or what you're walking through, know that your friends at City Hills Church are here for you. If you would like for us to pray for you, click the contact button on the top of the homepage and share your request with us. Our prayer team will keep you and your family in prayer every week. We hope you have an incredible day and that you discover a little more purpose throughout your week. We look forward to seeing you soon.